On today's episode. You can actually do door-to-door canvassing, and, and I would tr- I'd do a couple of thousand houses a year and got a lot of conversations, and people would maybe want to talk about creation versus evolution or when they would you know do a little bit of research on a church like if i was doing follow-up on a prospect like our stance on 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 gender issues and i'd always just say let's let's set all that aside and let's just come back to the, the resurrection that's where it comes down to you have to wrestle for yourself with did this guy rise from the dead or, or didn't he if he didn't i mean it's the c.s lewis on the knees you know he's either lunatic liar or lord if he didn't rise from the dead you should have nothing to do with jesus with me my church don't bother with prayer there's just no there's no reason for any of it but if he did it's life-changing welcome to the life challenges podcast from christian life resources people today face many opportunities and struggles when it comes to issues of life and death marriage and family health and science We're here to bring a fresh biblical perspective to these issues and more. Join us now for Life Challenges. Welcome back. I'm Krista Potratz, and I'm here today with pastors Bob Fleischman and Jeff Samuelson. And we also have a special guest with us today, Pastor Jonathan Hine. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're excited. Well, today we are going to have our Easter-inspired episode. So if you're hearing this episode just recently after we've published it, it will have just been Easter, and we are going to talk about some things related with that. But really, the Easter message is, I would say, probably the most central thing in Christianity. And so there will just be a lot of things that we can, that we'll discuss that will be relevant um, no matter when you're hearing this. What we're going to start with today is is Pastor Hine. And if you can just tell us a little bit about yourself. I began my ministry in Charleston, South Carolina at a mission restart and served there for 20 years. We started two congregations down there, and we're looking to start our third when I had the call to become coordinator of Wells Congregational Services. So that's the group within Wells. There are six different commissions, Commission on Evangelism, Commission on Worship, those types of commissions that help equip and encourage congregations for zealous gospel ministry. My main responsibility there is it's called congregational counseling as I go in with churches, doing the churches and help them assess their ministry, uh, put together a long-range plan, do some leadership training. So, uh, yeah, I've been doing that for four and a half years and and uh, like a, love it a lot. Yeah, and you actually were connected with Christian Life Resources too, right? I was, yes. My senior year at the seminary, got to intern at Christian Life Resources, and it was just a, a blessing uh, to, to be associated with that ministry and just kind of see what, what they're all doing. It's something I've always been passionate about. Life Issues has been since I was a, really a high school or something that, that has meant a lot to me, so I really enjoyed that time there. Well, we're excited to have you here with us today. Today, we really want to talk about this idea of the end of fear and what that means. And so how does Christ's resurrection do away with fear in a theological sense? So probably the most famous Shakespeare quote from Act 3 of Hamlet is, Hamlet says, to be or not to be. Everyone knows that quote, and they don't know really what he's talking about. Uh, He's contemplating suicide. And he goes on to say, calls death this, this journey from which no traveler returns, that it it puzzles the will and makes us uh, um, rather bear those ills we currently have than fly to other ills we know not of. Oh, how the conscience makes cowards of us all. 
So it's not just physical death that scares Hamlet. It's the uncertainty of what's going to happen to him after. Just his conscience is telling him, could, could this be really bad? Could I have to face some sort of, some sort of judgment? Which the answer, of course, is yes. And so, the resurrection is what removes that fear. We have a Savior who was sinless, therefore shouldn't have died, uh, since death is a consequence of sin. But First Peter chapter 2, where Peter wrote, Jesus himself bore our sins in his body. Uh, so the guilt of the world is, is transferred to Jesus. He died because of our sin, and if he stayed dead, then we'd have to assume that our sin was too big a problem for, for him to handle. But the resurrection is kind of like a, a receipt that our sin has indeed been entirely paid for. Paul says in Romans, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our, our justification, that 25-cent word, which means that to be declared not guilty. So, yeah, in the, in, the, in the theological sense of how is our guilt removed, the resurrection is proof that uh, Christ's payment by, by death on the cross was more than enough to atone for the sins of the world. I like the idea of of the the receipt too. Just when you get a receipt, it's that physical copy of something, and that that Christ's resurrection is is like that for us. It's yeah, it's like when you're you're walking out of Sam's Club, they have the checker there, and um, you know they're like the policemen to make sure that you're not stealing anything. And you hold up your receipt, and you're like, you know, vex me not, Sam's Club lady. The price has been paid in full, and uh, it's it's the same thing when when the when the devil comes to us and says, how, how why would you in the world would you think God would love someone like you? All the things you've done, and I can hold up the resurrection and say, say vex me not, devil. The price has been paid in full, It's the res- and resurrection is the receipt that proves it. So on this podcast, too, we really like to talk about life issues mm. and challenges, too. So how can we use the resurrection as a point to talk with somebody who is going through something that's challenging? Well, and actually what, what oftentimes happens is the resurrection presents the world with this peculiar awkward circumstance. The world doesn't know how to handle the resurrection. They sometimes will make it symbolic of something. that They, they go out of their way to reject a bodily resurrection. But the bodily resurrection really tells you that the end is not the end. The bodily resurrection has a way of changing your entire perspective, not only on life, but when you're facing the end of life. The world doesn't like that. The world is trying to to demystify everything in Scripture. And we see it at the beginning of life when they, they're messing around with causing birth in a Petri dish. And we see it at the end of life when we're trying to take God's authorship away of life and death and people can take control of their life. So all of a sudden when you get to a predicament where you're saying you cannot save yourself, you have no standing, and then you get the resurrection of Jesus Christ to find out that it's been done for you uh, it flies in the face of the world's natural inclination to be evil and to hate God and to rebel against God. And the resurrection is kind of that recalibration point in the church here to get us back on the right track, that this always has been about God. This has always been about God's love for his people, and it's always been about Jesus Christ and what he did. Yeah, The resurrection is one of those things that I think a lot of Christians just kind of— <laughs> Well, I don't want to say they just give lip service to it, but they don't think about it that much. And of course, that's one of the advantages of having the church year, that there at least is one time a year when the resurrection is is the focus and such. But we, we compare the the types of encouragement that people will give from a non-Christian perspective. I mean, you're, you're going through something difficult. You know, oh, 
this too shall pass, or you, you just got to try to look on the bright side, or whatever it might be. They may not actually be encouraging at all. Just suck it up, or, or something like that. But we can speak to the, 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 the Christian who has the certain hope of resurrection, and we say, hey, no matter how bad this is, you know what's on the other side. This cancer that has has taken you, maybe what's going to happen is that God is going to bring healing, and uh, on the other side of this, you're going to look back and you say, what was I so worried about? Thank you, Lord. Or maybe this cancer is going to be the thing that, after six months, eight months of, of, of suffering, is going to take you, and hey, you know what then? You're going to end up in heaven with Jesus. So it's win all around. That's something we can offer as Christians to other Christians that the world cannot offer in terms of hope and as something that will take away their fear of the unknown. Yeah, I think when when uh, Christians are fearful of the types of things you described, they lose the perspective that 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 they're eternal. They look at them, they think, well, I'm going to live for, you know, 80 years. And then like, so just let's just go through our, our present times. I mean, we're in some struggling times right now. So let's say it's going to be a really bad two or three years for, for whatever reason. And you say, well, two, two or three years and compared to 80 years, that's a, that's a big chunk of my life. That's going to be, you know, really challenging. And it's ridiculous. I, I like to use a timeline illustration. So th- think of a timeline and that's 10,000 years long and, and now shade in the front part of the timeline. That's Eight, that's worth 80 years. So the, the normal human, it's just going to be a tiny sliver of the 10,000 years. Change those numbers now to the 10,000 years, change it to 24 hours. Do you know what the 80 years now represents, that, that shaded area? It's 11 minutes. So imagine that you got up, woke up, and the first 11 minutes of your day were awful. You stubbed your toe, you burnt your eggs, you know, whatever. It was just everything went wrong for 11 minutes. But then for the next 23 hours and 49 minutes, everything was perfect. Have you had a good day? You've had a fantastic day. So if everything in your 80 years goes wrong, you're sleeping in a box in an alleyway for 80 years. You think, oh, that's bad. Well, not if you live for 10,000 years and, and that the next, whatever that is, nine, you know, 9,920 years is perfect. Um, you'd say that's been a fantastic 10,000 years. And then there's the hymn Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing our God's praise than when we first begun. Uh, when we have that eternal life perspective, it lets us realize that the problems that we experience here in this life, I mean, Paul says it's not, it's, it's not even worth comparing our present sufferings to the future glory that awaits us because of Christ's resurrection. So that, that eternal life perspective, if we can help Christians just remember that, look, you're going to live forever. And it's just a tiny sliver of your life. Uh, you got to be you know, conscientious with that. When someone first gives the, get, gets a cancer diagnosis, that's not what I would tell them. There's a time just to be silent and, and to cry with uh, your fellow Christians, to mourn with those who mourn. But ultimately, we have to encourage people, it, even even beyond bad times, in good times. I don't have to live my most comfortable life now to to have all the things that I might like want to have now. To re- I get to have that in eternity. I can sacrifice my time, my talents, my treasures in abundant generosity now because I don't need to be perfectly comfortable for the short little time that I have on this earth. Well, and the resurrection does force us to think eternally. You know, the problem is, is because the world has so tried to dilute down everything about it that that we actually find ourselves drinking the Kool-Aid of the world. We begin to think that this is all there is there's going to be. A lot of times people tend to blow out of proportion the things that they encounter in life. When uh, 
when when you get the diagnosis, you're pregnant and, and you're not married, and especially if you're within the church. In society, it's not a big deal. But within the church, it still is a big deal. Okay. But it's it's a moment. It's a moment in eternity. And you find forgiveness at the cross. You find the the stamp of approval with the open tomb. You know, one of the trying things we're going through right now is this whole business going on in Ukraine. And uh, last night I was reading up on uh, some of the war crimes and some of the horrible things going on. And when people think like the world, they start reading those stories and they begin to ask, how could God allow this? And yet a lot of this is the consequences of sinful people being sinful in their dealing with other sinful people. And God is the one who says, but I fix it all with the cross and with the open tomb. And Christians have that perspective. And when we live in the world and face the challenges of the world, we do so with that perspective. However, when we face people of the world who don't understand this, it doesn't hurt to practice a little patience with them because, like I said uh, early on, there's a very anti-supernaturalness about the world now. They don't like to talk about miracles. They want an explanation for everything. And, of course, nothing is more death-defying than three days dead in the tomb and you're alive. I was, I was listening the um, – why was the stone rolled away on the tomb, you know? It wasn't to let Jesus out. He didn't need a. He didn't need the stone rolled away. He walked through the walls uh, to meet with the apostles in the upper room, but to let people in, to let people in to see that why you're looking for the living among the dead. Uh, it's a very unique story, and when you're dealing with the world, you have to you have to start slowly. You have to start carefully. You have to start patiently. And the story of, the, of Easter is probably a good place to start. It sets you apart from everybody else. You're very different. You're very different. I believe that even in death, there's life. You know, so when I when I look at the disasters of 9-11 and how human lives were vaporized and, and the terrible things that happened, it's not beyond God to put it all back together, to fix it. And that's the story of Easter. That's It's an incredible story that's beyond our imagination. And we had been, if when you read all the scripture, it's been leading up to it. The inexplicable things all come to a head at Easter. Yeah, I think too, like with the resurrection, I was reminded when you were talking, what was that book that came out, The Case for Christ with Lee Strobel? Lee Strobel, yeah. And, and then he, that was really, I think, the, the point for him when things kind of started clicking, when he started looking at all these accounts of the resurrection and the testimony of, of all the people and that just realizing Wow, like <laughs> that that actually did happen and and what that meant too. You know, we we've actually had more witnesses to the resurrected Christ than we did to the existence of William Shakespeare. It's interesting when you read the the dispute about how many people actually knew Shakespeare. There's only something like 10 or 12 references of people who actually recorded that they had conversations with him or something, and, and a couple of them are under dispute. You know, we have over 500 witnesses to the resurrected Jesus, and we have no trouble believing in William Shakespeare. But, you know, I don't want to make a human argument for— but but the point, my point is that this, the, the resurrection is, is a well-testified to, and it's an enduring message. The Christian church has endured with, with a focal point on the resurrection 
Hey, you've, we kind of pivoted to the topic of like the resurrection with unbelievers. And so when I go to Charleston in 1997, you know, we have 13, 13 people in the church and it's, you can actually do door to door canvassing there. And, and I would I'd do a couple of thousand houses a year and got a lot of conversations and people would maybe want to talk about creation versus evolution or when they would, you know, do a little bit of research on our church, like if I was doing follow up on a prospect, like our stance on, on, on gender issues. And I'd always just say, let's, let's set all that aside and let's just come back to the, the resurrection. That's where it comes down to. You have to wrestle for yourself with, did this guy rise from the dead or, or didn't he? If he didn't, I mean, it's the C.S. Lewis, uh, then he's, a, you know, he's either a lunatic liar or a lord. If he didn't rise from the dead, you should have nothing to do with Jesus, with me, my church. Don't bother with prayer. There's just no, there's no reason for any of it. But if he did, it's life changing for, for you. And, and, and so I would just leave him with the, the question. Greg Cool, who's a, uh, an apologist, he talks about putting a pebble in, in a person's shoe. In other words, I want to make you a little uncomfortable so that you wrestle with the implications of what I'm saying. I would just say, explain to me how Christianity exploded in the first three centuries. And they'll think, well, it was, you know, sociological or economically beneficial. No, it wasn't. At the very least, you were ostracized by your family. At the worst, they'd lay you down and drill a, a hole in your head and pour molten lead into your skull. There was no good reason to become a Christian, and yet it becomes, it explodes from a couple of hundred after Jesus rose to something like 24 million, I think, at the end of the third I could be way off by that, I can't remember, but it's just astronomical growth. And the only logical explanation is people were convinced that, that this man who had been dead had come back to life, proving that all his claims, that he's God, uh, in, in human flesh, that he has the ability to forgive sins, that he can give eternal, that that has to be true. And they were willing to lay down their lives in order to, uh, in order to follow him. But the only explanation for the explosion of the Christian church is, is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. I mean, what a profound change in Paul's life. He went from, from fighting it to becoming its greatest spokesman, you know, for it. And because he just, because he says, he says, this is what happened. He rose from the dead. And now I, the least of all the apostles, have witnessed it, and and it, and it carried on from there. And you know, I've, I've talked on, on I think in other episodes. I when I was confirmed, I wanted to quit the church. I wanted nothing to do with it. The resurrection was always the story that kept bringing me back because everything else I felt I could probably explain away. But the story of the resurrection and all of its consequences just had too much to say. It. It was why, on the one hand, I could cry my eyes out at the death of a loved one, and on the other hand, still face the next day, because there's going to be this reunion. There is there is life, and it was has profound ramifications in my life. I think that happens to a lot of uh, our our members, where they kind of wander in the, not wander in the faith, but just wonder. Why do I believe what I believe? believe? Is it just because my parents believed it? And they start looking at other religions, and they come to the conclusion that Christianity and the message of the resurrection is entirely unique. Uh, like you mentioned Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, where he's telling people, look, if you have doubts about this, there's 500 eyewitnesses. You can go, go and find them. Compare that to Muhammad or Joseph Smith, who said, here's this revelation that I got. Oh, yeah, just trust me. 
I'm the only one who says, <laughs> just, just trust me. It's, it, 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 we're, it's Paul says, no, you don't have to just trust me. Go, go track down these, these, just the unique, another one of the uniquenesses of Christianity. Every other religion says, here's the, here's the God that wants you to die for him. Just make sacrifice after sacrifice and maybe he'll smile on you because you were willing to die for him. Christianity is the only religion who says, yeah, here's the God who's willing to die for you and, and then rise for you. So yeah, just the uniqueness. Uh, the resurrection is, I think, the, I mean, well, you mentioned it, Chris, that's the central tenet of the Christianity. I think it's the best place to start with when witnessing with unbelievers is you have to wrestle with this is historical fact. What we're sharing here is not like a philosophy or a worldview. Here's how we'd like you to think about things. We're just sharing with you history. Mm-hmm. This man died and he came back to life. You have to wrestle with what that means for you personally. Yeah. Thinking about him dying too kind of brings me back to this idea with with fear too. I know on previous podcast episodes we've talked about overcoming the the fear of of death and how uh, I mean, I know Bob you've mentioned it before too just how when you can really not be afraid of death what that does for you as as a Christian. And so looking at Jesus too how he conquered death, but he didn't do away with it. <laughs> we still have to die. What what good purpose do we still see in that we we die? Well, if we didn't die, we wouldn't get to heaven. God did start off with the, the plan A, which was where we would live forever in perfection here on earth, still able to walk with him in, in fellowship and everything like that. But that didn't last very long because Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden chose sin instead of obedience. And and therefore, we live in a world of sin as sinners with fellow sinful people. I don't know about anybody else. Well, actually, I do know about anybody else. This is something we can assume. We don't want to live in these conditions forever. And so death is the way that we, we get to what is better, uh, to life with, 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 uh, Jesus in, uh, in heaven, where we wait until the final glorious day of, of the final resurrection when we are reunited with our bodies and spend eternity in, in the new heavens and the new earth that God has prepared for us. And so in that sense, it's good that death is still here. Yeah, God's, God is, continues to speak to the world and he has two messages. It's law and gospel and death is the way he preaches the law. The wages of sin is death. And so here's that murderer who was killed by lethal injection. Makes sense. Murderer dies. And here's that rapist who's in jail and he is going to sit there till the end of his life and he's going to die behind bars. I'm like, yep, that makes sense. And then you see Mother Teresa dies too. And your kindly grandfather, who you you think is you know next to Jesus, he dies too. Death is God's way of saying no one's lived up to my standards except my son. I mean that's a a good preaching of the law that's necessary for the world to hear, uh, so that the hard soil of their heart is tilled. Uh, Then when it's tilled by the fear of death, that's when it's time for God's second message, which is gospel. And but He doesn't preach that through nature um, or through natural law. He preaches that through through the church, through you and me, sharing what Jesus Christ has done for people so that the fear that they have, including the, all the fears that they have, including that of death, they can see those are, are rectified in Christ. And that's why Paul said, I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain. In other words, even if you lack lack great oratory skills or whatever it is, there's a purpose in your life to continue to model your faith, proclaim your faith, 
as long as you have life. And that's that's also why you know Chris, Christians are not running to death, running to die, because their time is a time um, to serve. And uh, Paul recognized that. Paul said, hey, it'd be better off for me to die, but not yet. And uh, he continued to serve. When we talk about fear, too, just kind of want to bring up just a little bit about this this fear of the Lord, too, because um, we do hear that about how we're, I think it was Luther, right, that says fear or in the catechism, fear and love God. And so how do we, how does that kind of fit into this this image of, of fear? We're all too afraid to say <laughs> do, are we supposed to fear God, or do we fear God? You're crazy not to. Yeah, but it's a, it's a certain type of fear. It's so over spring break. We read Lion, Witch, in the Wardrobe, which is I read as a little kid. Uh, that is just such a fascinating for those. I, mean, I think probably a lot of our listeners have read it. If you haven't, do, do that over this summer. It's a metaphor for the plan of salvation, uh, where there's this these forces of evil led by a white witch. And the force of good is this character named Aslan, who is just this big, massive lion. Uh, and so these kids from Earth are, are transferred to Narnia, which is where this, this metaphorical battle takes place. And like even wildlife speaks there. So there's this family of beavers that can talk. And they're talking to these, these Earth kids. Uh, Susan and Lucy are the two daughters' names. And the beavers tell, you know, Susan, we're gonna, you're going to go and meet Aslan. He's a lion. And so now, now, uh, Susan's freaking out. She's like, is she safe? I feel nervous about meeting a lion. Um, and Mrs. Beaver responds. She's like, if there's anyone who can appear before Aslan without their knees knocking, they're either braver than most or just a fool. And Susan's sister Lucy says, so that so then he uh, he isn't safe? And now Mr. Beaver responds. He said, safe? Of course he isn't safe. He's a lion. Uh, he's not safe at all, but he's good. That's Jesus. He's not safe at all. Anyone who would pose him, any of his enemies, uh, when he comes for the second time, he's not coming like he came the first time. It is not meek and humble and in a manger. Revelation describes what he looks like when he comes the second time, riding on a white horse, eyes like fire. So he, he's not safe. Uh, and so, I mean, the, my sinful nature is terrified of uh, offending him, uh, offending this holy God who, who truly hates sin, and yet he's good. He proved that by his death and resurrection. And so I have this incredible respect for him. But it's not, I mean, what what Mrs. Beaver says, I'm, I, I don't come into his presence without my knees knocking a little bit. And part of that is just that what he wants to do for my life, I realize, is a little, it's intimidating. Uh, you think of what Jesus talks about, uh, authentic discipleship. He, he talks about denying ourselves, taking up our cross. Um, that sounds painful. It sounds hard. He tells his disciples on on, uh, on uh, Holy Thursday evening, if the world hates me, you guys are nuts. If you think it's going to embrace you, they're going to hate you too. And, and so Jesus isn't safe. He, he wants to do more than just save me. He wants to get his hands on my life and make me into something infinitely more beautiful than I would have ever thought thought possible. But that's going to require cross-bearing self-sacrifice. And so there's there's part of me that's a, that's intimidated by that, by that too. So uh, there is a healthy respect, a fear in that sense of, of Jesus, fear of offending him, 
a nervousness of what it means to, to give everything I have and everything I am over to his service. And I it just, uh, what, what, uh, Mr. Bieber said, you know, he's not safe, but he's good. And the resurrection is what proves that. Well, and we've talked about that before where, um, we want to be there for God. We want to do his will. We want to be a soldier in his army and so forth. But we always like to kind of hedge our bets a little bit. Just, we just, we're willing to sacrifice only if it doesn't hurt. We're willing to go the extra mile as long as maybe I have a golf cart. You know, we were, we're always, in other words, we kind of, we're always hedge it. And, and what we're experiencing is the battle between the old man and the new man. The, and, which, which kind of leads me to kind of a, a final thought, and that is the, um, why does everybody show up for for Easter at church? Well, first of all, you know, yes, tradition. You know, we family. You know, we're visiting family. They're going to make us come to church. But I mean, we even get regular members of the church who you don't hardly see the whole year, but they'll come for. You know, we always say Easter and Christmas. And why is it? Because Easter touches on that delicate nerve in our lives that says. I, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm sure. I'm not sure. And Easter is that final punctuation mark. That and I'm going back to something John had said earlier. And that is, you know, when you when you're visiting with somebody and you're going door to door, or you're just having conversations, you know, over a lunch hour, and and people want to go after you about evolution. They want to go after you about climate change, gender dysphoria, things like that. When you start with the resurrection, when you talk about the resurrection. What it does is it shifts the argument from horizontally to vertically. In other words, you're talking about your relationship with God. And when you start to talk about your relationship with God, uh, if the resurrection is true, it profoundly changes everything else in life because it starts to explain all the other things and starts answering all of the other questions. And actually, the beauty of the resurrection is it restores the might and majesty to Christ and and you get that glimpse of power over death even, all of a sudden, I, I no longer am demanding that God explain everything to me. He doesn't. Ha- I don't have to have every answer because he is God after all. And so the resurrection's a good starting point to start working backwards and addressing all of the issues that certainly we deal with here at CLR, but just all the issues in life. You know, why, why is there suffering? Why is there, you know, pain? Why is there death? All that kind of stuff finds a whole different light uh, in the glow of the resurrection. One quick final thought is an interesting phrase in the Great Resurrection chapter is uh, death will be swallowed up in victory. So Paul's saying all the consequences of sin, all of them, uh, physical death, every, but all the pain, the, all, it's going to be swallowed up in victory. Which is an he could have just said like it'll be forgotten because of the, future, the victory of the resurrection, but he says it's going to be swallowed up. It's a fascinating Greek word. It talks about eating something completely and quickly. So set a pizza in front of a bunch of sixteen-year-old boys, and you'll see what it means to be swallowed up. When, when I eat something, it either, at the very least, it energizes me. It fuels me. The way I eat it can make me bigger. So when Paul says all of the consequences of sin, the hardships that we have in the earth, the things that you cried about in the last week, in the victory of the resurrection, it's going to be swallowed up. All those things are going to make that victory that much sweeter. I compare it to the first dog I had. I thought she was kind of annoying down Charleston. I'd be trying to write a sermon, and she's like trying to nuzzle me. She wants me to take her for a walk. So I was thinking of her as this annoying dog, and then she ran away. 
And we just hunted for a frantic 48 hours and, 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 and found her. And I never thought of her as an annoying dog again. My love for her was increased, energized, because I'd gone through the hardship of losing her. That's what Jesus promises, is that all the hardship we go through now is just going to energize and make bigger the, the victory that we'll have in the resurrection. Which the, the incredible thing about that is, think of what that means for Satan. Absolutely everything he's ever done in your life to try and make your life miserable. Jesus says, yeah, I'm going to use that to make your eternity better. Um, that's what I think is meant when Paul says death is swallowed up in victory. Thank you so much for joining us. And thank you so much to all of our listeners today, too. And if you like this episode, please subscribe, give us a review, and we'll see you back next time. Thanks a lot. Bye. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Life Challenges podcast from Christian Life Resources. Please consider subscribing to this podcast, giving us a review wherever you access it, and sharing it with friends. We're sure you have questions on today's topic or other life issues. Our goal is to help you through these tough topics, and we want you to know we're here to help. You can submit your questions as well as comments or suggestions for future episodes at lifechallenges.us or email us at podcast at christianliferesources.com. In addition to the podcasts, we include other valuable information at lifechallenges.us, so be sure to check it out. For more about our parent organization, please visit christianliferesources.com. May God give you wisdom, love, strength, and peace in Christ for every life challenge.